certain events and the news of those events have the ability to change everything, whether it be for a person, a family, a people, or a nation. Certain events and the news of it has the ability to change everything. Think about for our country. 9-11 changed so many things for our country through those terrorist attacks. Think about Juneteenth, how the announcement that African Americans have been emancipated changed everything for an entire people group in our nation. To bring it a little bit closer, think about, not closer, but just think, if someone were to go on Shark Tank and their proposal was selected, it would change everything for that person and their family. Think about a child hears that both of their parents have passed away. That would change everything for that person. You see, certain news have the ability to change everything, whether it be for a person, a family, a people, or a nation. Well, in this morning's passage, y'all, we will hear of the greatest news ever that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And y'all, that news changes everything. It changes everything, life as we know it. And that news changes everything, whether it be for a person, a family, a people, a nation, the entire world. You see, this good news is for the world, and it impacts the world. The news of Christ's resurrection changes everything. And so if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. You may be seated. So our big idea for this passage is this. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And in this passage, you'll see three things that Christ's resurrection does. There's so many more. We're going to see three. 
One, it produces genuine devotion. It pronounces a glorious declaration. And it provokes a response. Produces genuine devotion, pronounces a glorious declaration, and it provokes a response. And so for context, well, last week, we read of the account of the humiliation of Jesus Christ, how he was mocked, scorned, and crucified at the hands of man. And as he was hung on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God. You see, his death was a sin offering as he was our representative. As he bled and died for our sins, his wounds have paid our ransom. And his death was effectual because it resulted in atonement. Our sins were covered. It resulted in us being liberated from sin's dominion. We have been reconciled to God. So now, there is no longer beef between us and God, but there is a relationship through Jesus Christ. And as the temple, as the veil of the temple torn from top to bottom, we have access to God through faith in Christ. And this is true for all who have trusted in Jesus. We also saw that his death was confirmed. He was buried by Joseph of Arimathea. It was witnessed by a few women. You see, his death and his burial, those are historical facts. And those two things are two of the three essential components to the gospel. Jesus' death and Jesus' burial. Well, in this morning's passage, we will see the third essential component to the gospel. And that is Jesus' victorious resurrection. And so before we get into it, let me go ahead and address the potential elephant in the room of why I am only preaching verses 1 to 8 and not verses 9 to 20. Well, I could give a few reasons. Well, one in particular is that it is verses 9 to 20 are not in the original manuscript and they're not in most of the early copies of Mark's gospel. You see, the vast majority of the copies of Mark's gospel, especially the earliest copies, they end at verse 8. And many Christians throughout church history have affirmed that Mark's gospel actually ends with verse 8. So technically, I am preaching the whole chapter. In verses 9 to 20, it doesn't impact any core doctrines of the Christian faith, and nor do they contradict them. You see, everything that if you were to read verses 9 to 20, everything that you would learn from it, you can learn in other places in the Gospels and throughout Scripture. Now, this should not lead us to question Scripture. Y'all, we can trust God's Word. You see, our God has the power to raise the dead. He certainly has the power to preserve His Word and its purity. So now let's get to it. The first point, Christ's resurrection, it produces a genuine devotion. Look at verses 1 and 2. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, 
They went to the tomb at sunrise. Here we see the Marys, a number of them. They honored the Sabbath. And when the Sabbath ended, they made their way to Jesus' tomb. You see, these women, they loved and followed Jesus. They followed him throughout his earthly ministry. They served him at their own expenses. According to chapter 15, verses 40 and 41, they witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. And according to chapter 15, verses 46 and 47, they witnessed his burial. You see, these women saw it all. If you want the details, they could have provided it for you. You see, they knew what happened to Jesus, when he died, how he died, where he was buried. They saw that he was dead. And here they went to anoint Jesus' body to offset the odor from decomposition. It's kind of like Axe body spray before the invention of Axe body spray. You see, these women, they assumed that Jesus was dead. They weren't considering his resurrection. Either they forgot or they didn't think that it would happen as immediately. And yet these women still went to serve Jesus. You see, this deed displayed their love and devotion for Christ. They weren't coerced. They weren't commanded. They weren't convinced. No one tied their arms behind their back and told them to do this. Instead, they go and do this of their own volition. You see, these women, they loved Jesus and desired to serve him. Because that's what you do when you love someone, especially Jesus. Did you guys catch when they went and did it? Look at verse 2. It says, very early in the morning. You see, this was a priority, not an afterthought. They were eager to serve Jesus and earnest to do so. You see, this is genuine devotion to Christ. Christ had their heart, and so he had them, their affections, their devotion, and their service. And notice that they are serving Jesus not to get anything from him because they think that he was dead. Rather, they're doing it because they believe him, because they love him. And, beloved, this is instructive for us because what we know What they would soon find out, and they'll be the first to hear, is that Christ has risen from the grave. And that the risen Lord is worthy of our affections and devotion and love and service. It is because who he is. He's the son of God who created all things. He is the savior, the one who laid down his life for us. He is the risen king who reigns. Y'all, he is our Lord who laid down his life and picked it up that we may have life. And so we serve him in response to what he has done for us. Beloved, are you devoted to Christ out of love for him? Does your devotion to him reveal your love about him? What does your devotion say? Look at verse 3. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? 
You see, they have a hiccup in their plans to serve Jesus. In the previous section, they witnessed Joseph of Arimathea and others roll the stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. This is a very heavy stone. They recognize that they can't do it themselves, and so they need help. I understand where they're coming from. You see, recently, my wife and I, we just moved to Midtown, had so many heavy things, and y'all, we needed a ton of help. So glad that the brothers came and served and helped us, especially my man, Stephen Lancaster. <laughs> y'all, this man is strong as an ox. <laughs> man, over here lifting dining room tables and couches and everything. See, they could have used a brother like you at that time. <laughs> but to their surprise, the problem has already been resolved. Look at verse 4. Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. You see, previously they thought they had no way in, yet God has made a way. God moved the stone. You see, what was too hard for them is not too hard for God. In fact, it was light work for him. And y'all, the fact that the stone has been removed is very important. Because when there's a stone over the tomb at that time, it communicated that someone has died, that that tomb is in usage. And almost always, the one who is laid in there will not exit. And yet Jesus' stone was removed. But it wasn't by man, but it was by God. And why was the stone removed? Because it was no longer needed. Jesus has risen from the grave. There is no need for him to be there because he is alive. He left the domain of the dead and he is alive. You see, he resurrected from the grave. And the tangible evidence is the empty tomb. As we walk through the Gospel of Mark, we saw that Jesus repeatedly predicted that he would suffer, that he would die, and that he would resurrect from the grave. And here we see that he had made good on the promise. It proves that he has authority over death, that he is the Son of God. And here his resurrection changes everything. As we read in the scripture reading, many people saw the resurrected Christ. They witnessed his appearance, they believed, and they were changed. It produced a genuine devotion to all who trust in Jesus. Because you can't encounter the resurrected Lord and remain the same. It is impossible. Think about the apostles. You see, they witnessed the resurrected Lord. They were transformed. It changed them. In your own time, compare how they acted in the Gospels versus how they lived in the book of Acts. You see, they went from being cowards to being courageous, from fleeing to proclaiming the resurrection. You see, when Jesus was arrested, they fled for their lives. But in the book of Acts, they proclaimed the resurrected Lord, and they rejoiced that they suffered for, on account of Jesus. The very same Peter who denied and disowned Jesus, he witnessed the resurrection, encountered it, and look what he says to us in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ 
The very one who didn't want to suffer for Christ is telling us to rejoice as we share in his sufferings. So that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in having that name. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It produces a genuine devotion. Y'all think about the Apostle Paul. How he was persecuting the church, even as we read in the scripture reading. Encountered the resurrected Lord. He went from persecuting to preaching that Christ has risen from the grave. Beloved, let's think about our very own lives. Before Jesus saved us, we were haters of God. We were devoted to opposing him and his ways. But God, in his love, pursued us. We heard the gospel. He opened our eyes, opened our ears, saved us by, gave us the gift of faith to where we repented and trusted in Jesus and saved us by his very grace. And it brought about a genuine devotion to the resurrected Lord Christ. And how did he do it? Because he united us to Christ Jesus. Just as Jesus rose bodily, he gave us a spiritual resurrection when we went from being dead to life. To where now we worship and serve the crucified and grave conquering king. You see this, Jesus' resurrection, it changes everything. For us, by his grace... We went from being devoted in opposition to him to devoted to the things of him. It has caused us to depart from sin, to resist the flesh, to love and serve the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. We are now servants of the one who served us through his death and resurrection. You see, if these women were devoted to, Jesus's, to Jesus without knowing that he has died, without knowing he's resurrected, How much more should we be devoted to our king, knowing that he has risen and that he has risen indeed? You see, his resurrection changes everything. It not only produces a genuine devotion, it also pronounces a glorious declaration, which is our second point. Look at verse 5. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed In a white robe, sitting on the right side, they were alarmed. My bad, I left my notes. (laughs) So they entered the tomb. They didn't see Jesus' body, but they saw an angel, a heavenly being who came to earth, and he brought good news. And their immediate reaction is dread and wonder. It's a common response throughout Scripture when people encounter an angel. And What we see is that the angel met them where they're at. He spoke to what alarmed them, and he spoke towards their aim for coming. Look at verse 6. He says, don't be alarmed. He told them, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. You see, the angel knew their intentions in coming. They came to see Jesus, who was crucified and buried And through the angel's words, he affirms the historicity of Jesus' suffering and death and his burial. He spoke to the very women who witnessed all of it. You see, they came to the right person. They came to see the right person. They came to the right tomb. 
but he was not there. See what the angel said. He says, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. You see, Jesus is alive. He is not dead. The very one who died was raised by the power of the omnipotent God. As Dutch theologian Herman Bavinck would say, God revived Jesus' body, united Jesus' spirit with the body, and Christ walked out of the grave. You see, he rose from the dead. As we sung, his buried body began to breathe, and he left the tomb. And here we see, through the angel's message at the resurrection of Christ, it isn't fabricated. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a figment of one's imagination. It's not a myth, but it is a historical fact. Just like Jesus' crucifixion and his burial, so is his resurrection. You see, here we see that the women didn't come up with it, but they learned through revelation. And the revelation came from God through the angels to these women who were the first to hear that Christ has risen from the grave. You see, this is a glorious declaration that Christ has risen. As we sung in the anthem, death could not hold Jesus down. And why not? Well, death had no claims on Jesus because Jesus was and is sinless. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about how this death, the sting of death is sin. Well, Jesus is sinless. And so death couldn't sting him. He rose from the grave. You see, I'm sure many of you, you guys like to go swimming, especially Stephen. Seeing that he used to swim on the swim team. And oftentimes if you go swimming, you know, sometimes you may have like a, a beach ball in the water. You play a number of games. Man, have you ever tried to make that beach ball, beach ball sink all the way to the very bottom? Did it work? Absolutely not. No matter how hard you try, ain't no way in the world you getting that inflated beach ball to the very bottom. It will always rise above the water. Well, in the same way, there is no way that death could have kept Jesus in the grave. He resurrected from the grave. He is victorious. So, beloved, if you look for Jesus, you won't find him among the dead because he is alive. He resurrected from the grave. He is at the right hand of the Father. He is ruling and reigning. You see, his resurrection proves that he is the sovereign Lord who defeated death. You see, death has met its match. Jesus TKO'd death. You see, the grave itself declares Jesus victorious. And his defeat of death assures that one day he would destroy death just as God promised. Isaiah chapter 25 Verses 6 to 8 talk about how one day God will swallow up death once and for all. And the assurance that it will happen is Jesus' resurrection from the grave. You see, death, it is an enemy. It wasn't a part of the goodness of God's creation. 
It came through sin. Y'all, we hate death. Many are afraid of it. We don't talk about it. There's a real fear of death. And y'all, if there is a real fear of death, then how much more should we fear Jesus? Because he defeated death. You see, growing up in schools, normally people would be afraid of the bully. You know, there's always a bully in the school, and people would be afraid of the bully because normally the bully, you don't want to get beat up by him. But every once in a while, you know, a bully would pick on the wrong person, and that person would beat up the bully. And everybody would witness it or everybody would hear about it. And the normal response after that happened is, man, there was some sort of appreciation for the one who beat up the bully. There is some sort of respect for the one who beat up the bully. And there is some fear of the one who beat up the bully. Y'all, death was our bully. And we couldn't defeat it. But Jesus beat it. He resurrected from the grave. Now, in schools, what happens sometimes is that the one who beat up the bully ends up becoming the bully. But here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Okay, he did not become a bully. You see, the grave-conquering king is a gentle savior for all who trust in him. He is a gentle and loving savior. In fact, he defeated death for us. And so it's not that he's coming to defeat us, but that he may save us. He defeated death so that we may live. And he delights in all who trust in him. You see, our king loves us, and he defeated death to save us. You see, the angel, he pronounced a glorious declaration. He said that he has risen. He is not here. And, y'all, this is huge because this is essential to Jesus' saving work. Let me unpack this and follow me real quick. Y'all, if Jesus did not rise from the grave... He would not be who he said that he is, the Christ, the Savior. He would not be an all-sufficient Savior. Rather, he would be a sinner needing to be saved. Y'all, the price of sin wouldn't have been paid. As we read in a scripture reading, we would still be in our sin. There would be no salvation in him. Satan, sin, and death would have actually won Y'all, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, there would be no exaltation, no ascension, no inauguration of, God, of, of the kingdom of God, no high priest interceding for us, no forgiveness, no hope, no coming age. Y'all, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the grave, the Christian faith would crumble like a house of cards. Everything hinges on the resurrection. But here is the wonderful thing. That Jesus has risen from the grave. Bodily resurrection. Not the appearance of a body, but an actual bodily resurrection. The angel said it. He is not here. See the place where they put him. He has risen. This is a glorious declaration. And it was attested and affirmed by many eyewitnesses. As we read in the scripture reading, the twelve. Peter, James, 500 eyewitnesses, Paul, 
Witness after witness attest that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Some have touched his hands. Many have ate with him. They witnessed it and they died because they proclaimed it. Christ has risen. Therefore, he is who he says that he is. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Lord of heaven and earth. That he is the Christ. This means that every word that he has ever uttered is true and can be trusted. Every command that he has ever given should be obeyed. This means that he is the all-sufficient Savior. The resurrection proves his vicarious death for sins was effectual. Y'all, our sins, the sins of all who are in Christ, they have been atoned for, past, present, and future. Every sin that a believer would ever commit has been atoned for. God's wrath has been satisfied through Jesus' death. You see, Jesus' death paid our ransom, and the resurrection is the receipt. The check cleared. Sufficient. This also means that he is the king who was exalted, that he is the promised son of David, the one whom the Old Testament uh, anticipated, that he is the one who sits on David's throne forever, that his kingdom is without end, there are no terms or no timer, that he has been inaugurated and that all who trust in him are delivered from Satan and sin's dominion and brought into his kingdom. means that one day he'll return and consummate it. Y'all, his resurrection guarantees our resurrection for all who trust in Jesus. Like, because Christ has risen, we who are in him will one day rise with glorified bodies, which means that life as we now know it will not always be this way. And that is a very good thing. Because in this life, there is sin, there is suffering, there is death, there is sorrow, there is pain, there is tears. But Jesus' resurrection, it means that there is a timer when all those things will come to an end. It means that one day we will be freed from the presence of sin. That we can love and serve God without hindrance. That one day we will have joy unmixed with pain and sorrow. That there will be endless joy that we will be with and worshiping our God and King forever. Beloved, this and many more things is what Jesus Christ has won for us through his resurrection. When was the last time you just sat and marveled at the effectualness of what Christ has accomplished through his death and resurrection? Behold his saving work. It is one saving act. He was crucified in weakness and he was raised with glorious power. On the cross, he was the lamb to be slain. And as he walked out of the grave, he is the conquering lion. You see, this glorious declaration changes everything. Y'all, it impacts how we live today. It means that we have a real hope. That is grounded in certainty. You see, for Christians, everything can be stripped from us. We can and will suffer. And in the midst of it, we can have real joy, real peace, and we have real hope. Because we know what is to come, future glory. 
It is because Jesus has resurrected from the grave. You see, where non-Christians, they have no real hope. They try to place hope in so many things, and it will only fail them. And so they try to create their own hope, try to give some sort of meaning for why these things and that things can get better. They give empty words. But for us who are in Christ, we can endure, not because we're hoping for the best, because we know that the best is yet to come. And we know that because we look back and remember and know that Jesus has resurrected from the grave. You see the angels. This angel, he gave a glorious declaration. He affirmed the historicity of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And through it, he summarized the gospel. As we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is the gospel, verses 3 through 5. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Y'all, this is the message that we proclaim, that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. It is this message with the numerous implications that we proclaim to one another to help one another grow in Christ. It is this message that we need to hear every day. You see, we need the gospel for every season and in every situation. You see, you have an experience in victory over your sin and temptation. It is this message that you need to hear because it is the foundation of our victory over sin that Christ has resurrected. It is this message that we need to hear to avoid self-righteousness and boasting in pride that Christ died for our sins and resurrected. If you are struggling with temptation and sin, Y'all, it is this message that we need to hear, that Christ has died and resurrected. And it's because of that and we being in him that sin no longer reigns over us and so we can resist. It is, if you are in relational conflict, it is this message that you need to hear, that Christ died for sins and resurrected, that God has forgiven us of our sins, that he's been patient and kind towards us. And so now we can display that very same patience and kindness and grace and forgiveness. It is this message that we need to hear. You see, the gospel is repeatedly stated in the epistles. It's unpacked and applied specifically to a number of situations and scenarios. You see, through the epistles, they're holding up the diamond of the gospel and they're turning it so that we may behold each and every facet that it has, that it may be applied to our very lives. It is the only message that we preach. It's the only message that it saves. You see, there's a Famous story about Martin Luther. A member in his congregation came to him one time and asked him, Pastor, why is it week after week you preach to us the gospel? Why do we never move on? When do we get past this on to something else? To which Luther responded, Beloved, because week after week you forget it. 
you will never be without your need for the gospel. So I will never cease to preach it to you. You see, beloved, we never outgrow our need for the gospel. We need it constantly. It's through faith in the gospel that we endure to the very end. As you guys remember, Pastor John preached that the Christian life, it begins, continues, and ends with faith. And that faith is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died, that he was buried, and that he resurrected, and that we're saved by faith in that message alone. You see, we need the gospel daily. Y'all, the angel said that he has risen. This is a glorious declaration. And this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of many things that distinguishes Christianity a true faith from all false religions. You see, those who started those false religions, they all died, and not one has risen from the grave. You see, where you find their tombs, you find their decomposed bodies. You name them, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Charles, Charles Taze Russell, Confucius, Siddhartha Gautama, None have risen from the grave, and all who follow their faith will die with them. But Christ has risen from the grave. Bodily resurrection. He is the risen king. And all who trust, who love, who follow him, we have eternal life. And one day we will rise with him and live with him. As we saw in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. His resurrection is the first of many for all who trust in Jesus. You see this angel. He gave a glorious declaration. And that's not all that he said. Look at verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. You see, the angels told the women to tell the, women to tell the disciples and Peter. And, y'all, this is huge because back then in that culture, a woman's, testi- a woman's testimony wasn't regarded as valid. It's not to say that women were incapable of telling the truth, but that's just how it was. And yet the angels, the angel commands them to tell the disciples, and that should be sufficient. That the disciples were to heed their words and obey the instructions of going to Galilee. And y'all, did you notice who these women were commanded to tell? The disciples and Peter, the very disciples who abandoned Jesus after he was arrested. Jesus is going before them, and Jesus is gathering them. And Peter, the very one who disowned and denied Jesus, has been summoned to meet in Galilee by Jesus. You see, what we see here is restoration. Peter is being folded in, and Peter has been forgiven. You see, the restoration was initiated not by Peter, but by Jesus himself. You see, God showed mercy and forgave long before Peter sought it. 
Do you remember in chapter 14? Peter was ashamed of his sin. And here we see God meets him with grace. You see, our God is a God who forgives. He does not treat us as our sins deserve for all who trust in Jesus. Through the gospel, all of our sins have been forgiven. The ones that we are so ashamed of, God not only knows them, but he had his son die for them. Jesus' blood covers them. So we don't have to keep them to ourselves. We don't have to, we can bring it to the light and confess it to the Lord. For his affections for us will not change. He sent his son to die. You see the resurrection? It pronounces a glorious declaration. Y'all, this truth is weighty, and it provokes a response. Look at verse 8. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them, and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. You see, it hit hard. This is weighty. They are amazed and astounded, overwhelmed with fear and wonder because Christ has risen. In Jesus' resurrection, it testifies to his sonship. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that he was declared to be the son of God through his resurrection. It testifies to his transcendence. And throughout Mark's gospel, fear is the normal response when one encounters the transcendence of Jesus Christ. Think about Mark chapter 4. When they were on a boat and the sea was raging, they wake Jesus up. Jesus speaks to the storm and it stops. And it's said that the disciples were afraid. It says that who then is this that the wind and sea obey him? Think about chapter 6, verse 51. The disciples were on the boat and they see Jesus walking on the water, wanting to pass them by. They're afraid and Jesus, he gets in the boat, he calms the the storm and it said that the disciples were completely astounded. Think about chapter 9, verse 13, at Jesus' transfiguration, where he revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John. It said that they were terrified. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, again, a revelation of his sonship, that he is God. And it is glorious and overwhelming. You see, when confronted with this reality, it causes one to tremble. And the proper response is to bow in reverence and awe and believe. See, out of fear, these women said nothing as they ran to go and tell the disciples. We know that they told them, but we see it in the other accounts that these women told the disciples. And here is how Mark's gospel ends. He dropped the mic. Ends very abruptly. And it was very purposeful. Because through it, we're confronted with who Jesus is. And Mark wants us to sit in that, in the weight of it. And it provokes a response. You see, this news changes everything. It solicits a response which has eternal ramifications. Life and death hinges upon how one responds to Jesus Christ.
For salvation is only in him and there is no salvation apart from him. Everything hinges on how one responds to Jesus. As I said earlier, his resurrection declares that he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God in human flesh, that every word that he has said is true and should be trusted. And so we shouldn't question him with skepticism, but instead we should trust him and worship and obey him. Every command he's ever uttered should be obeyed. All of it is for our good because he is good. He is the one who has all authority. And so we should worship our risen king. If you know yourself to not be a Christian, friends, I'm glad that you are here. I'm wondering, how is this landing on you? You see, Christ's resurrection proves that he is the Savior. I know that it sounds crazy that God became man, that he died on the cross for sins, that he resurrected from the grave. But it is 100% true. And this reality provokes a response. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he began preaching the gospel and he gave the command to repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, friends, the proper response for you today is to obey Jesus, King Jesus, by turning from your sin and trusting in him because that is the only way you can be saved and have life. And through faith in him, you will be forever changed by his grace. He offers salvation. And so if you want to talk more, you can talk to any of our members after service. Beloved, it is because Christ has risen from the grave that all who trust in him will one day rise. It's because that Christ has risen from the grave that one day creation will be set free from the curse of sin and receive the glorious freedom of God's children. It's because Christ has resurrected from the grave that we don't dread death and that we know that what is to come is infinitely and eternally better than anything we will ever experience in this life. You see, his resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we praise you that you sent your son, that he is the risen king, you are the God of life, that you give life to those who believe in your Son. God, may we rejoice in the life that we have in him as he himself declares that he is the resurrection and the life. Brother, may we marvel in the hope that we have in him. May we long for his imminent and glorious return. For on that day, joy would never cease. Sorrow will be no more. We pray that Christ would come soon. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Seeing that Christ has resurrected, he's purchased so many benefits for all who are in Christ Jesus, and we long for his imminent return, it is fitting for us to respond with singing. His resurrection, as Alex said, as the scriptures proclaim, Jesus' resurrection is the first among many. So now let's stand and sing hymn of heaven. Look at verse 3. This is what all who are in Christ we await. And on that day, we join the resurrection.
and stand beside the heroes of the faith with one voice. A thousand generations sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Forever he shall reign. This is what our king has won for us. Let's sing.